For our scripture this morning, we will be looking at two books in the New Testament. Those are Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and we will be reading through chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4. And that will be on page 978 in the Church Bible. And the second passage will be Colossians chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. That's page 984. Uh, The pastor will be preaching this morning on the responsibilities of husbands and fathers as leaders. So that's uh, where he'll be preaching from, and we're going to be reading these two passages. Ephesians 5.22 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Go two books down to Colossians chapter 3 verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do, not, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. May God bless the reading of his word this morning.
we're consistent. <laughs> we did that last week. And um, we'll, we may do it a few more times. What do you want to do? Okay. I think that's it. And this is not on yet. Okay. Actually, I'd like to have you turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 103. In a few minutes, we'll be going to that psalm, Psalm 103. And I want to just um, remind all of you men who are college age and up that there are some refreshments waiting for you, light refreshments to be sure, but... um, coffee and some healthy uh, granola bars and some unhealthy candy and things like that. Uh, we, we tried to honor our mothers not long ago, and some of the fathers came to us and said, surely you're not going to neglect us when Father's Day comes. So out of sheer guilt, we decided we should do that. Now, we're, uh, we're happy to uh, rejoice, as Pastor Keith did in his prayer, for fatherhood, and it's certainly a, a vital theme in the Word of God. So hope that immediately after the service, you men will enjoy just a little time of fellowship and refreshment through that means. We, we're thankful for the ladies that helped prepare that for us. And as soon as I'm finished with my message, Patrick and Annette Rowe are going to come up and briefly share with us some perspectives on how God has blessed Uh, their efforts toward leadership in the home. Now, last Lord's Day morning, as you may know, if you were here, we kicked off our relatively brief summer series called First Aid for the Family. The good news is that most of our families and marriages do not need to be in the ER or in the OR, the operating room. I said most. A few, in fact, do need some surgery, if I might use that analogy. The bad news, however, is that virtually all of our families and marriages do need some first aid. It's simply because every member of every family and each spouse of every marriage is still a sinner. Even though they may be forgiven, they are sinners. As I said last Sunday morning, we are like children at a summer wilderness camp trying to rough it and learn how to develop survival skills, and we get stung by bees, and we catch a bad case of poison ivy, and we get cuts and scrapes and bruises, and perhaps we even break a finger, and we need first aid. But in the words of one of our great hymns written by Joseph Hart, a hymn inviting lost sinners to come to Christ, we sing these words. Come, you sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to help you, joined 
filled uh, with pity, joined with power. He is able, he is able, he is able, doubt no more. And then when we come to the third verse, we sing these words, Come, you weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to call. And in those two verses, we have these words, poor, wretched, weak, weary, wounded, sick, sore, heavy laden, bruised, and broken by the fall. There you have it. That's what we all bring as believers into our families and into our marriages. And that's why we need spiritual aid. And I hope that the words of that inviting him are encouraging to any of you who have not come to Christ at all. You should come to him seeing that you are weak and wounded by the fall. You should remember that he stands ready, full of pity, joined with power, and he's willing to save you. But know this, that if and when you get saved, you will still be a recovering sinner. And those of us who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and who have him as the head of our homes still know that our marriages and our families need first aid because we bring that kind of sinfulness into our marriage. So last Sunday I suggested that a bruised and wounded family or marriage needs, first of all, to become a devoted family. Not merely a family that has devotions, but a devoted family. Family, And in that sermon, I talked about the source and the evidence and the method of devotion. And if you missed it, you're welcome to watch it or listen to it online. But today, today we come to the second first aid remedy for the wounded family. And as you've already heard from Brother Z, it has to do with leadership. Think about this. I would assert that a family that is devoted to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and attendance upon his word, where the husband leads the wife and the father and mother lead their children well, you will find inevitably a healthy family. Those are essential ingredients to a healthy family. And where they are found, there is inevitably a healthy family. I'm not saying it doesn't have any other problems. Imagine it. Every member devoted to God out of a sincere love for him and his word. Every family lovingly and strongly led by a discerning husband and father and a helpful mother. That's the recipe for a healthy family. And where that lacks, where that is lacking, I should say, there is inevitably an unhealthy family. I want to read something. In our hymn book, we have a a hymn, several hymns on the family, but this one is, is precious. It says, Oh, happy family or home where you are loved the dearest. You, loving friend and savior of our race, 
and where among the guests there never comes one who can hold such a high and honored place. Oh, happy home, where two in heart united, in holy faith and blessed hope are one, whom death a little while alone divides and cannot end the union here begun. O happy home whose little ones are given early to you in humble faith and prayer, to you their friend who from the heights of heaven guides them and guards with more than mother's care. O happy home where each one serves you lowly, whatever his appointed work may be, till every common task seems great and holy when it is done, O Lord, as unto thee. O happy home, where you are not forgotten, when joy is overflowing full and free. O happy home, where every wounded spirit is brought physician comforter to thee. Until at last, when earth's day's work is ended, all meet you in the blessed home above, from whence you came, where you have ascended, your everlasting home of peace and love. You would agree. That is a happy home. And that's the kind of homes we want to characterize. Heritage Baptist Church. Because we are a family of families. But our corporate godliness as a family of families depends upon the individual godliness of each family where devotion to God and His Word and biblical leadership prevail. So this morning I want to speak about leadership and I want to remind you that even though leadership may be alive deep down in many cases it may be rather sickly and anemic. And so I want to apply this first aid to our families. And I will admit to you from the very outset that the emphasis of this sermon by its very nature has to be what I would call maleish, M-A-L-E-I-S-H. The emphasis in God's word with regard to the family and leadership, of course, is upon men, is it not? God has called men to be the leaders of their homes. God has called men to be the leaders in their churches. So I'm not going to apologize for the fact that, that some of the stress and the weight of this message will be upon men. But I do want to say very quickly, it, it is not all about male leadership exclusively. And the principles that I want to share with you this morning, ladies, you can listen up because you will find them to be applicable to spheres of leadership that you may have legitimately. L leadership that has been delegated to you, perhaps by your husband or perhaps by your church in a, in a small way. The principles of leadership are transcendent. And so... Even those of you who may not be fathers, those of you who are not yet husbands, may have other realms of leadership. And so I think there is a broad appeal to everyone to imbibe the biblical principles of leadership. So how shall I approach it? Well, I'm choosing a very simple approach. I have one main point that I want to make today. And then 
under it will be several specific applications. But if you forget all of the applications and you remember the one main point and you latch on to it and you seek to implement it and you pray for grace and wisdom and strength to work it out in your life, you'll figure out what all the other specifics will be. What is that one main point? Husbands, fathers, future husbands and fathers, and yes, mothers, and any ladies who have delegated responsibilities of leadership, this is it. Listen to me carefully. We need to strive to be more and more and more like God in all of our leadership. Strive to be increasingly like God in your leadership. He is the perfect model. And when I say He, I don't mean only God the Father, but also God the Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We should strive to become Christ-like in our leadership in whatever sphere we may exercise it. Now, you know that in the Scriptures, God reveals Himself as both a husband and a father. I'm not going to take time to turn you to those passages, but surely you know that in the Old Testament, God speaks of Himself with regard to His people as being their husband. In one place, He complains. He says, though I was your husband, you did not obey me. Repeatedly, God presents himself as the husband of the wife called Israel. But he also presents himself as the father. And in the New Testament, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is presented as the husband of the church. He is the groom, we are the bride. In the Old Testament, God was the husband, Israel was the wife. And so, it isn't unnatural for us to think about God being the ultimate example of husband and father. And that's all I'm doing. And so the one point of this message is, and as you guys that are dads and hope to be dads, and you um, wives and mothers, as you think about your husband, who is perhaps also the father, uh, a father, please pray for him that in this one area, he will continue to experience the grace of God in becoming more like God in his leadership. Now, let me just assert something else. This is a simple thought, but I hope you'll appreciate why it's significant. God leads the way he leads because he is who he is. You say, well, that's, that's not very profound. No. It isn't, but it's very significant. I want to put it differently. God does what he does because he is who he is. God does what he does the way he does what he does because he is who he is. Is something emerging? I hope so. This is what I'm saying to you, that all of God's leadership flows out of his character. And that's a critical thing for us to appreciate. All of God's leadership flows out of his attributes. So for us, especially husbands and fathers, to lead better and better and to lead in a more godlike way means that our leadership must also flow out of character. And if we're going to lead like God, then we need to have the 
character of God. We need to have the attributes of God, that is, those which he is willing to share with us. And, and many of you know that the theologians have long since divided these attributes, which just means qualities, the perfections, the characteristics of God. Children, the word attributes just means the characteristics of God, the things that make God who he is. And I'm saying now to all of you, and especially to the adults, that theologians have long since divided the attributes of God at least into two categories, those that are communicable and those that are incommunicable, two two, uh, other big words. But all it means is that some of the characteristics that God possesses, he wants us to possess as well. He wants to share them with us. He wants them to become a part of us. He wants us to become like him in those regards. Other attributes he is not going to share. We'll never think about sharing. Cannot share with us. For example, God has existed from everlasting to everlasting. In that sense, he's eternal. We're temporal. We were born. We had a beginning. God never had a beginning. For example, God is everywhere present. Everywhere in the universe and outside of the universe, God is present. All at the same time, we'll never be omnipresent. God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. God can do anything he wants to do. There's nothing God cannot do except sin and deny himself. He is omnipotent. And God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. He knows everything that can be known. He knows everything that can be known exhaustively. You and I will never share those attributes. We are not infinite. We are not measureless. We are not eternal. We have immortal souls. We will live forever. But we had a beginning. God isn't going to share that with us. Only God can be infinite. Only God can be omnipotent. Only God can be omnipresent. But listen, the other characteristics of God are such that he wants us to imbibe them. He wants us to assimilate them. He wants us to be like them. He wants us to possess them. And he is determined in his saving grace and work to share those attributes with us. One of the great definitions of God is the answer to the fourth question of the Shorter Catechism. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Sounds like a machine gun. That's too much. It is too much. And that's only the beginning of it because under every one of those things I just mentioned, there are other things. Under the goodness of God is the grace of God and the mercy of God and the patience of God and the kindness of God. And the love of God. Those words weren't found in that definition. God is so glorious. But all of those things that I just mentioned, dear brothers and sisters, and especially you husbands and you fathers, God wants you to be like. He wants us to be like him. And, of course, he wants you ladies and you sisters in Christ to share all of those. There's nothing maleish about love and grace and mercy and kindness and truth and justice and holiness and patience. But I'm talking to men as the leaders of the family. And I'm saying to you, brothers, this is the single point of my sermon. In order for you and for me to become better leaders, we need to become more like God. We need to become more like God in all of his communicable attributes. And now you know what communicable attributes are. There's those characteristics of God that he wants to share with us. He wants us to be like him. And so we should lead like him. 
Is there a woman here? Is there a child among us who doesn't sometimes wish that her husband or their father was more like God in the way God leads? Surely there is no such person who doesn't desire that. Now, I ask you to turn to Psalm 103 for a reason. If you haven't turned yet, please be sure you're there. And I just want to jump into the middle of this wonderful chapter, this wonderful psalm. And I want you to notice with me verses 8 through 14 very quickly. And see the attributes of God. Let them jump out. Verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding, abounding in not just love, steadfast love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. Oh, yes, he does chide. He must chide, as a loving parent must chide with his children when they're disobedient. Yes, he does become angry, not in terms of our judge who questions again as to whether or not he really meant to forgive us. No, it's a righteous, holy disappointment with our behavior. And you know what this loving God has to do? He has to discipline us. That's what in part, Hebrews 12 is about. These are part of his attributes. But you see, the point is he doesn't always chide. He doesn't keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, that is, in the measure of our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. Have any of us ever been able to say, I have been more chastised by God than I deserved? Or isn't the confession this? God, in his most severe chastisements of me, has been far more merciful than I ever, ever deserved. And then he says in verse 11, for as high. Notice the comparisons. We're about to come to three comparisons. In verse 11, for as high, he's going to compare something. And when you come to verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. And in verse 13, as a father. Three comparisons, but notice the first one. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Now again, we see the love of God and we see that it is a steadfast love, but the psalmist is emphasizing the infinity, the immeasurableness of his love as high as the heavens are above the earth. Usually when I think about that sort of astronomical analogy, my mind goes to the passage in Isaiah where he says, so high are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. But here it's not about the mysterious wisdom of God. It's about the immeasurable love of God. As high as the heavens are above the earth, says the psalmist, so high is his steadfast love, so great, so immeasurable. This is one of the attributes of God. And then he goes on to say, In verse 12, by using another comparison, 
He speaks of how far he removes our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I'm sure you've heard some pastor or some author somewhere say that if you go east, you will always be going east. If you go west, you will always be going west around the world. But if you go north, eventually you'll start going south. The east and the west in that sense are utterly and absolutely separated. They are so far separated. And God says, you want me to give you an idea of how far away I'm going to put your sins? I'm going to put them in the west. You travel east and see how long it takes you to get to the west. And you can never get to the west. That's the analogy. Why am I reading this passage? What's the point of the sermon? The point of the sermon is that all of us, but I'm especially thinking of husbands and fathers, but anyone who's in any position of leadership, all of us need to learn how to lead like God. A God who wants to share his attributes with us. And so we've seen that he is merciful and he's gracious and he's patient, slow to anger. We've already seen that. We've seen that he's loving. We've seen that he is um, relenting, uh, not unrelenting. He relents. That is, he doesn't always chide. He doesn't keep his anger forever. He's so gracious to us with regard to how he deals with our sins. He loves us with an infinite love. He separates our sins from us in a way that they can never be rejoined to us. And then in verses 13 and 14, the third analogy is, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, this is interesting because I'm preaching a sermon, the main point of which is be like God. And this passage says God is like you. Did you notice that? It says he's using an earthly father as an analogy. He says, as a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The assumption is that a good father shows compassion to his children, and that was a given. That's a given in any culture. And the psalmist operates on that premise. He says, find me a father, a real father, who's worthy the name father, and I'll show you a man who shows compassion to his children. That's what God is like. Now, of course, the, the point of the sermon is that, that we're like that because God is like that, and we need to become more like God. But I have to be honest with the text in this particular case. The psalmist is saying God is like us. But the difference is the best father on earth is inconsistent with his compassion. And the true father is perfect and consistent. So, in a sense, we're back to God. And then lastly, I want you to notice, it says in verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I would take that to mean God is realistic. God is always aware of who we are. We are the objects that he is leading, and he continually remembers who we are. Now, just just to be sure you get the point, do, do most fathers and mothers, for that matter, always remember the frame of their children? No. Sometimes we forget. They're just children. 
They don't know how to do that yet. You haven't taken enough time yet to make that clear to them. They, they don't have the strength. They don't have the understanding. They don't have the ability yet to do that. Don't demand more of them than they are capable of given their present development. Be cognizant of their frame. But what I'm wanting you to relish in is that God never, ever, ever, ever slips up and says, Oh, I forgot. They're just creatures. I forgot that they, they're not eternal. I forgot that they're finite. I forgot that I made them out of dust. I forgot that they're still sinners. I forgot that I haven't yet glorified them. Oh, I must be more careful. Never! God always remembers our frame. He always remembers we are but dust. How encouraging. What's the point? Lead like God. That's the point. God is a gracious, merciful, patient, loving, restorative, relenting, forgiving, compassionate, realistic God. And you, husband and father, and you, mothers and wives in your delegated leadership, remember that you too, we too, are all to cultivate mercy and grace and patience and love and the ability to relent, forgiveness, Compassion and realism. That's the point of the sermon. Those are, by the way, the subpoints. Those are the particulars. These are the ways in which we must and ought to become better leaders. Now, if I could just add a couple of things that are not in this text, but surely you will agree with me that they're in the Bible, because I'm just trying to round this out without turning all over the Word of God. Now, there are many other aspects of leadership besides these things that I've mentioned. But, for example, we are to be holy men and women. We are to be decisive men and women. We are to be clear in our instruction. That's part of not frustrating children. Why did I have Z read Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3? Now you should know. Because in both of those passages, he addresses the way we as husbands and fathers should relate to our wives and children. And in particular, he cautions us against being harsh with our wives and exasperating our children, provoking them to anger. How do you provoke children to anger? There's lots of ways. I was reading this week from uh, the Resurgence website seven ways. One is we we make more um, withdrawals than deposits, which means we spend more time criticizing our children or our wives than we do encouraging them. We resort to physical and verbal abuse. We become emotionally absent. We're talking, but we're not really there. Every wife knows about that glossy-eyed stare and those occasional grunts that come from her husband which are supposed to make her think he's really tuned in and children know that too 
emotionally absent. We publicly humiliate sometimes those who follow us, even our wives and our children. We don't have any fun. We can't be crazy. We're not adequately generous, and we don't know how to say I'm sorry. Those are seven things that were found on the Resurgence blog, uh, ways that we provoke our children to wrath and the way we provoke our followers to wrath. But I want to come back to the idea of firmness and decisiveness. Really what I want to say is this. Um, If you think about the attributes of God and the assumption is that we should be like God in our leadership, then have you have you recognized even this morning or have you thought about this in the past? Surely you have. That God has sort of two sides. No, not really, okay? But from our perspective, he has two sides. One side you could call the firm side. The other side you might call the tender side. God knows how to be firm. God is holy. God is demanding in the right sense of the term. God tells us what we may do and what we may not do. And when God tells us what to do and not to do, he means what he says. And when he offers consequences for disobedience, he implements those consequences. God is firm. God is decisive. God is determined. God is a disciplinary God. He knows how to be firm. And a good leader knows how to be firm. I just want to read something that... uh, was written by uh, a man by the name of Jared. Um, what's his last name, Jonathan? Jared Wilson. And as some of you have seen this. I think Jonathan posted this on his blog a long time ago, and I just said, hey, could you send me that? And I have to admit to you that when I read it again, I just laughed, and yet my heart resonated. This is a father talking to a would-be um, young man who wants to date his daughter, a would-be dater of his daughter, Okay. And he says, uh, basically, here are the requirements for dating my daughter. Number one, you must love Jesus. I don't care if you're a, quote, good Christian boy. I was one of those too. So I know the tricks. I'm going to ask you specific hard-testing questions about your spiritual affections, your daily devotional life, your idols, your disciplines, and the like. I'll cut you a little bit of slack because you're young and hormonal and you're prefrontal lobe isn't fully developed yet, but I'll be watching you like a hawk. I know you. I was you. You will think you can fool me, and you likely have fooled many other dads who didn't pay much attention to their daughter's suitors, but I will be on you like born on that guy whose neck he broke. Which guy was that? Every guy. So love Jesus more than my daughter or go home. Number two, you will install triple X watch or covenant eyes on your computer and mobile devices and have your regular reports sent to me. I will talk to your dad and tell him I will hold him responsible if you don't treat my daughter like a lady. If he thinks I'm a crazy person, you fail the test and won't get to date her. If he understands what I'm saying, that bodes well for you. Number four, you will pay for everything. Oh, sure, every now and then my daughter may can buy you a Coke or something and a gift and on your birthday and Christmas, but you pay for meals, movies, outings, what else? Don't have a job? I'm sorry. Why am I talking to you again? <laughs> Number five, you will accept my Facebook friend request. If it looks like you need a belt to hold your pants up, this is number six, I'll assume you don't have a job. 
He says, see number four. Number seven, young people dating and putting their best face forward. So if you appear impatient, ill-tempered, or ill-mannered, I know you will gradually become more so over time. I will have no jerks dating my daughter. Number eight, if I'm not your pastor, I will talk to the man who is. If your pastor is a woman, why am I talking to you again? Number nine, you don't love my daughter. You have no idea what love is. You like her, and you might love her someday. That's an okay start with me. So put the seatbelt on, the mushy-gushy stuff. Don't profess your undying love. Quote stupid love song lyrics to her. Tell her you'd die for her or feed her any other boneheaded lines that are way out of your depth as a horny little idiot. (laughs) A lady's heart is a fragile thing. If you play with hers, I will show you yours. (laughs) Number 10, if you ever find yourself alone with my daughter, don't panic. Just correct the situation immediately. And if I ever catch you trying to get alone with my daughter, that would be the time to panic. Number 11, it may sound like I'm joking and threatening you harm, and while I might not physically hurt you if you offend my daughter or violate her honor, when I am addressing the issue with you, you will not be laughing. And finally, you may think all this sounds very legalistic. That's fine. You can be one of the many antinomians not dating my daughter. So this guy, there's a, why did I read it? It's a little bit humorous, but you know what? You know what that says to me? There's a decisive man. There's a firm man. There's a man who's determined. There's a man who knows in part how to lead his family. There's a man who's going to protect his daughter. And God has a firm side, but God also has a tender side. God is, as we've read, merciful, gracious, patient, loving, compassionate, forgiving, relenting, realistic, and many other things. And we need brothers, men, we need to imbibe these characteristics in seeking to be good biblical leaders. And one more thing I want to read to you, and then I'm concluding, because we want to hear from Patrick and and Annette. Um, another pastor I read this week told a story about a disciplined situation with his son. And he was building his um, counsel based on Job. You remember what Job did? Remember how Job sacrificed for his children even though he wasn't sure they had sinned? He said, maybe my children have sinned. I'm going to go to God and I'm going to appeal on their behalf and seek their forgiveness. And based on that passage, he tells a story. This is a well-known pastor in our country about his son. He says, I'll give you an example from when Zach was two. To be honest, he's usually a wonderful son, and I enjoy him immensely, and we are very close. Still, one day, he was not obeying. He was not being respectful. He was tormenting his sister, and he was overwhelming his mother. When I walked in the door from work, my wife and daughter looked as if they had just run a marathon. When I disciplined him, it just increased his anger and defiance. His attitude grew meaner until he tried to punch me. 
Ephesians 6, 4 came to mind. That's what Z read for us. And I felt that I was exasperating my son. As I prayed, God brought Job 1.5 to mind, and so I picked up my son, who was threshing his body wildly, and carried him upstairs so we could be alone. I lay down on my bed with my son on my chest and held him as I began to pray for him. The first thing I prayed was that the Holy Spirit would come and convict Zach of his sins. Then I prayed that Jesus would take the anger out of his heart and give him a new heart of love and obedience. And then started repenting of Zach's sins for him, naming each of them he had committed that day in great detail. As I held him, I rubbed his back, which calmed him down, and I asked God to forgive him for his sins and give me wisdom to be a good father. My son broke in a way I had never seen. His crying was so deep that he heaved on my chest for over ten minutes, covering me with his tears and having difficulty breathing through his crying. He was repentant, and he was broken. He realized that he was sinning against his family, and he was sinning against God. He also realized that I was responsible for him and that he was implicating me in his sin. Eventually, he lifted his head to look at me in the eye and said, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm not claiming to be a genius, says this pastor, but I'm claiming that the Bible is both true and helpful. We need to lead our children in repentance. We need to model. Now, is he saying that his son actually repented because his dad said those words? No, but he's modeling for his son what we do with our sinfulness. And the reason I read that story is because, guys, This shows us the tender side of God and the tender side of parenting. We need to learn how to be slow to anger, restrain our anger, recognize that it's not righteous indignation often. And we need to take our children and we need to calm them and we need to look them in the eyes with tears streaming down our own faces and pray for them and with them and help them. I'm ending with that story. But I want to ask all of you men and husbands-to-be and fathers-to-be to join me in a fresh resolve to become better leaders. What would our families look like if all of the men listening to me this morning were leaders like God? What would, it, what would your family be like? Now, you say, I'll never be able to lead like God. That's not true. <laughs> God purchased your ability to lead like him. God planned your ability to lead like him. God has given you all of the resources you need to lead like him. We always have the advantage over the world in these regards because we have infinite wisdom in his word, perfect atonement in the cross, and all of the power that we could ever need in the person of the Holy Spirit. Don't let the devil or your own deceitful heart persuade you that you cannot lead like God. We can because he wants us to lead like him and he will enable us to lead like him. Now, to the extent that we fail, which we will miserably every day of our lives, the beautiful thing is that we have a Savior to go to and say, Lord Jesus, I'm thankful 
that you paid for the failures of my leadership. I trust you for that. I will not live in guilt for that. I will live in humility for that. I will not live in guilt for that. Help me now to roll my sleeves back up and go after a more godlike leadership. So men, let's step up to the plate and let's become the leaders that God wants us to be. Now, I'm going to ask Patrick and Annette to please come up to the platform for a minute. Would it be good to use this day? Okay, this one over here. Okay. Okay. If you guys will come over on this side, is that okay? Just stand on this. And Patrick, just take a minute to share uh, the ways God has helped you and Annette um, to, to attempt to lead in a biblical way and how God has blessed that leadership. We know you're not perfect. None of us who give testimony are perfect on any of the things, but we believe God has blessed you. And I want to give thanks for that when you're done. Well, Annette and I have, uh, I think one of the primary ways to bless us is putting us in a really good church that focuses on what does the Bible say about, and we have tried to do that in uh, our, our, uh, sorry, Dave, thank you for the directions in the back. Uh, we have tried to do that for, with, uh, with our kids when the topic of, well, what about this or what about that or what about the other is try to be, well, what, well, let's just simply look to see, does the scripture say something about it specifically or directly? And if not, does it have the guidelines on that in that, um, as Pastor said, said, we're not perfect. We have messed up. And like Tim said uh, last week, you know, God gives you a chance every single day to start over again. Yeah. Uh, every week, every month, every year, you, and whatever you reflect about it, you think, okay, God, you know, we didn't handle that one exactly right. Uh, help us to do this one uh, right. Uh, I think that some of the examples in Scripture, if you look at some of the stuff Christ did, he often was uh, uh, intentional. As opposed to reactive, and we've been taught that to try to be intentional about how you study scripture, how you lead the kids, when you talk about whatever it is, relationships, schoolwork, you know, life in general, that kind of thing. And we've tried to be that way. Uh, we've tried to think ahead of the game. Now, yeah, we've had to react to stuff, uh, but the Lord has blessed us with, I think, good books, the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking about that, we talk about it at night. We prayed about our kids. Uh, the Lord has blessed us with a reminder to pray for uh, our kids. And that's one thing. We're not perfect at this for sure, but pray for your kids every day. Amen. Uh, Amen. Pray for the, that the Lord, that the Lord would change their heart. You know, we know that you can talk your kids into doing and saying what you want them to do. Uh, you can talk your kids into walking the aisle or whatever, going and talking to the pastor's. You can talk them in it, and they're going to do and say. You can sort of cajole them uh, into that kind of thing. But, you know, that's, I don't, that's not what Christ did. Uh, so we've really trusted with him with that. He's blessed us with three great kids um, who are obedient. Uh, you know, even our 20-year-old, who we believe is unconverted, is still a pretty obedient kid uh, and comes to us. Hmm. Um, and we, we thank the Lord for that every day. Uh, our kids are very intelligent uh, kids. They, and, and because of that, they sometimes challenge us with the what if or what yeah. about or does it really say um, types of questions. And we thank the Lord that we've got the, his word to uh, go to. Amen. Amen. Uh, stay right here.
So when you say that your kids are intelligent, do you think they're more intelligent than most other parents' kids? <laughs> no. You're acknowledging that God has given them good right. minds. I know that. Let me pray for uh, you folks. And, and when I'm done, folks, I'm actually going to give you the benediction, and we will be dismissed. I took a little more time in preaching than perhaps I should have. So um, would you stand as we pray together? And then uh, after I pray, I will give you uh, the benediction. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, revealing to us in your word what leadership should look like and for revealing to us in the way you relate to your people as to what leadership should look like. Lord, every one of us who are in any position of leadership want to be more like you if, in fact, our hearts have been changed. And we ask that you would help us. Uh, we thank you that the, the seemingly impossible is really not impossible. We can lead like you because you have purposed to make us like you to conform us to the image, especially of our Savior. So, Lord, bless this church in that regard. Uh, I'm going to confess on behalf of all of the men of our church that we have not been the leaders that we need to be. Forgive us, and thank you, Jesus, for dying for those sins, those sins of omission. They're all paid for, for those who trust in him. They won't meet us in the day of judgment. We praise you for that. But we want to do better and pray that you'll give us grace so that each family in our church will reflect a more biblical pattern and so that this family of families will reflect a more biblical pattern. Thank you for Patrick and Annette and their children and for the example they are to our church. Thank you for blessing their leadership. Thank you that uh, two of the three of their children have publicly professed faith and we ask that this entire family will know and love you. Bless them as they continue to be parents. And bless us all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now please receive this benediction from God's word. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Just... Mm-hmm.